You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning, everybody. So lovely to be here. So lovely to be sharing with you today. Sun has come out, and I always thought that this church would be great if it was a convertible church. If we had a sort of soft, tough roof that just peeled back and the sun could come. What do you think? Yeah. We're going to building fun, don't we? <laughs> this morning, I want to talk about joy, about rejoicing in the Lord Jesus. And I want to talk about it because I want you to experience the joy of knowing the Lord Jesus. It's such a joy to be speaking today and such a joy to share with you in your life together as a church. I'm sorry that I can't be here every Sunday. I'm often off preaching at other churches, but I really do enjoy being here and sharing in Harborside Church, which is such a great project to be part of. My entry point, however, to Harborside is a bit different to most of you. I never really joined Harborside. I was just kind of here when you came. It's a bit like when you move into a new house and it's not completely empty. (laughs) You know, there's these scruffy bits of furniture in the garage or under the house, you know, like an old table or, you know, those little stools that toddlers stand on to reach the toilet. You know, that's just left there. The people didn't want to take that. So that's me. I was just here. But, uh, but, But after a while, you find a use for them. And after a while, you're glad that they're there, right? Yeah. Well, that's kind, of, that's kind of me. And so what I want to say is I'm glad you all moved in. And I hope that I could be of some use to you. I also want to thank you, Harborside folk, for the amazing way that you have included the former Mossman Baptist Church people. Um, I often tell the story of how beautifully you did that uh, to encourage other churches about how, how to be community and how to love people. It's a lovely story to tell, and I love to tell it. And a special thank you to the way you love Sophie Allen, who died recently, and also how lovingly you shared in the celebration of her life and what a beautiful moment that was for all of us, I'm sure. Uh, thank you so much for that. I've been amazed at, for, about Harborside. How determined you have been right from the beginning, to be a fully-fledged, mature church right from the start. Um, You know, church plants are often lightweight, single-dimension projects, but you haven't been like that at all. You, right from the start, you were committed to all the things that make a local church strong. Prayer, the scriptures, biblical preaching, evangelism, strong community life, faith-building, corporate worship, pastoral ministry, every member ministry, man, all the things that you've managed to do, all the things that make the local church strong. And really, guys, your track record on all of those scores exceed long-standing churches, and, and you did it right from the beginning. It's really quite remarkable. So bless you and, and well done. And let me say to you how much I've come to respect Dave and Pitt for their leadership roles and their loving service as pastors of Harborside. Uh, you're serving the Lord so wisely and so faithfully, and the Lord is entrusting something wonderful into your hands, and uh, you rising to it. Um, it's a pleasure for that reason to share in the work that you're doing here. And actually, you guys have got more out of me than I really intended. 
well, and that's just the be- that's the best kind of leadership, right? Uh, my oldest daughter Becky is always in charge. Wherever we go, she's in charge. And you kind of half an hour into the event, and you realise Becky's just making all the decisions here. She's just telling everyone what to do, and everyone's doing it. And that's the best kind of leadership, where you're just in it and sharing in it, and you're one to it. So. Bless you guys, and thank you, and well done, Harborside. So um, give yourselves a round of applause. So back to joy and rejoicing in the Lord. That's how this chapter begins. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. He says it three times. So that's my theme today, rejoicing in the Lord. Lord, thank you for your grace, and thank you for your goodness. And thank you for this joy that we can know in knowing you. Come now by your spirit. Come and bless your people. Come and grow your church. Stretch our hearts. Give us joy, we pray in Jesus' name. I actually was not always a Baptist. I grew up in a Sydney Anglican church. Put your hands up if that's your background as well. About half of us, so we're kind of pretty well entrenched in that tradition, or rather we've had that as our origin. And that tradition I have always been grateful for. It was good at a lot of things, but joy was not one of them. (laughs) I really learned so much in my early years attending an evangelical Anglican church here in Sydney, but I had to go somewhere else to find joy. I remember going to one of those early Christian city churches back in about 1980 down in Brookvale. And um, honestly, just to walk towards that church was to, the, 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 the music was so loud, it just would race up the street. It was like a sonic boom of joy coming up the street and met you. And I remember what they were singing on that first day. They were singing, abiding in the vine, love, joy, health, peace. Jesus made them mine. I have victory, power, and prosperity abiding in the vine. And they were, they were, they were clapping. They were jumping. They were on the seats. They were jumping on the seats. <laughs> it was wild. Now, I had my heresy radar out. And I I knew in a flash that they were taking on more than the scriptures give us to take on. Uh, Health and prosperity and, uh, you know, they were grabbing that all. They were taking it on board. So I knew that we weren't quite on the same page at every point there. But I tell you what, I was impressed. The joy was unmistakable. The joy was powerful. Joy was life-changing. It was extraordinary. They were enjoying worshipping the Lord. (laughs) They were enjoying their faith. They were enjoying their Lord. And that's what I want you to do. It's what I want us to do. Enjoy the Lord. It's what Paul wants the readers of Philippi at Philippi to do, to rejoice in the Lord. says it three times. He's at pains to say it. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. So that's where we're headed this morning. Joy in the Lord. But how? How can we find joy? Where does it come from? How do we dig deep and find the joy that there is in the Lord Jesus? Well, Philippians 3 helps us so beautifully. And uh, covering the whole of the chapter and jumping back into chapter 2 as well. So 
If you've got your Bible, keep it open there, Philippians 3, that will be helpful. In a moment, I want to talk about finding your hope in the Lord Jesus, but first, finding your identity in the Lord Jesus, finding your identity in the Lord Jesus. We seem more conscious about identity, a question of identity, than we used to be. And the question of personal choice in identity is more to the fore than it used to be, so that you can hear somebody say, I identify as a woman, I identify as a man, I identify as gay or straight, and that means something in a way it didn't used to mean, choice, identity, choosing what your identity is. And for our purposes this morning, I think that's really helpful because it will help us understand what's going on in Philippians chapter 3. And that's because a huge part of what Paul is trying to say here is that joy in the Lord Jesus comes from identifying with Jesus, finding our identity in him. The next few minutes are going to be a little bit dense, so hold on and stay with me. And hopefully quite soon we'll come out into a clearing and you'll be able to enjoy the view. In the first half of chapter 3, Paul gives what we would call his testimony. Tells us what happened to him when he became a Christian. And it happened like this. Paul was born into a Jewish family. His Jewishness was at the core of him. It was in his body. His parents were Jews. His grandparents were Jews going back what, 50 generations and for 2,000 years, back through Benjamin, back to the very beginning of Israel's history, right back to Abraham. And as a male Jew, he was circumcised. So his Jewishness was in his body, was in the core of him. In the flesh is how he puts it. But in addition, Paul was a really enthusiastic Jew. He was from a group called the Pharisees that's zealous about obeying the law, obsessed about obeying God's law. And as a result of that obsession, he became convinced that he needed to put all his effort into, into driving into non-existence this new, subversive, degenerate faction of Judaism, Christianity. So he was pitted against it, determined as a obsessive Jewish man to get rid of Christianity. When he looked back on his former life before he became a Christian, he put it like this, as for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. Faultless. So in our language, Paul grew up identifying as a Jew. That identity ran deeply in him, and he was glad about it. He was pleased about it. He felt he was an excellent Jew. Just pause here for a moment to note that this testimony, Paul's testimony, is not that he tried to obey the law and found that he couldn't. This is not a bridge to life story. You know, good works won't get you across the chasm between us and God. This is not Martin Luther's story. You know that story? Couldn't find peace with God through his spiritual disciplines. Paul's evaluation of his efforts in verse 6 were this, I was faultless. And his testimony was not, I tried and I failed. It was, I tried and I succeeded. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, proud of his traditions, proud of his Jewish identity, 
well, we might say loud and proud. He was loud and proud in his Jewishness. So how did a man like that become a Christian? Well, he says in verse 12, what happened was that Jesus took a hold of me. Jesus took a hold of me. You know this story, I guess. Paul's Damascus road conversion, traveling to Damascus in order to persecute the church. They're struck down by a blinding, bright light. The risen Jesus appears to him and says, Saul, that was his name then, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Persecuting the church, the risen Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And in that moment, Paul realized that this Jesus from Nazareth was not dead, but that he had risen from the dead, which is just exactly what these Christians were saying. And so what that meant was that everything that he was doing in the whole of his life up to that point was profoundly wrong. This Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah and his enthusiastic, zealous Jewishness had made him blind to it. And so here's how Paul puts it himself in verses 7 and 8. He says, um, But whatever was to my profit, in other words, what I, whatever I was pleased about before, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And what's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Describes his old life, his old identity as loss and rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Now, I just want us to back up into chapter 2 so we can understand what he means by that. Um, If you've got your Bible, just flip back to chapter 2. And we're looking at verses 5, 6 through 11 thereabouts. And if you notice in your Bible, it's, it's laid out in a different way. Can you see that? It's indented. And that's because it's a song. It's a poem. It's an ancient Christian song. Maybe Paul wrote it himself. We don't know. Or maybe he learnt it. Maybe even in those first days at Damascus after he was struck down, they taught him, hey, Paul, sing this song. Learn this song. Get this inside you. And friends, I hope this song is deep in your hearts because in this song is the core of our faith. This song has to be the song of our lives, not just the parts of it, but the whole of it. You need to be able to sing this whole song and have it deep within you because it's a song about Jesus. And it tells the story of Jesus in three stages. There's, like all good stories, it has a middle, a beginning, a middle, and an end. And the beginning is the story of descending, the descending story of Jesus. It's about how Jesus, who though he was equal with God, didn't count that equality something to be held on to, emptied himself, emptied himself. It's a descending story. He emptied himself to become a human being. And as a human being, he emptied himself to become a servant, the lowest kind of human being. And as a servant, he emptied himself in obedience to God to suffer death because God was commanding him to do that. And then even then, the kind of death he died was the worst kind the most shameful kind of death on a cross, the story of Christ descending 
from equality with God to the shameful death on the cross. That's the first part of the story of Jesus. But then see in verse 9, therefore, 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 because of that descent, because of his willingness to empty himself, God lifts him up. God exalts him. It's the story, the middle part of the story is the story of ascending. He ascends because God exalts him to the highest place and gives him a name which is above every name, gives him the name Lord, gives him the authority over all things. There's the story of Jesus. The beginning is the story of him descending. The middle is the story of him ascending. And then the final stage of the story is his occupation of the whole created order. It's in verse 10. Jesus has this name which is above every name so that in verse 10 we read that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's the story of this ascended Jesus filling everything and being honoured everywhere by every sentient being in the universe Bowing down and honoring that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And so back in chapter 3, when Paul says that I may know Christ Jesus as my Lord, he's saying that song is in me. That song is my song. And it's not just that Jesus is Lord, he's my Lord. That ancient song is my song. Lord Jesus is my Lord. It's about his identity. And his identity is in Christ. No longer defined by his Jewishness, but by his faith in Jesus. So that his status, his standing, his righteousness, and his identity no longer come from his obedience to the Jewish law, but because, but by faith in Jesus. And this is the Lord that Paul is calling us to rejoice in. Rejoice then in your new identity in Christ. Take joy in this core thing in your life and let that ancient song of the Lordship of Jesus fill your life till you can't help but rejoicing in it. So there's a first key to joy in the Lord, finding our identity in the Lord Jesus. Hey, well done, everybody. Staying with me all that through. That was dense and thick, wasn't it? But you're here. We're all together still. Pretty much, I think we just lost one person, but hey, <laughs> a couple at the back gave up, but you're with us, you're with us. Now, I want to talk just for a moment about, because, because I'm, I'm like the representative Baptist pastor here, right? Because like I'm the, genu- I'm the real article when it comes to being a Baptist minister. So let me tell you about Baptist just a little bit. I was speaking to someone recently, and they said to me, this really kind of important person, she said to me, so you're a, Baptist, you're a Baptist minister. What is the distinctive thing about Baptists? I said, well, it's in the name. We baptize people. We baptize believers. That's what we do. And here's something else you need to know about Baptists. When we baptize believers, we need a lot of water. We need a lot of water. We need, the ocean will do. A river will do. I baptized a guy in a hot pool in New Zealand once. Uh, a swimming pool will do. You know, even in this building, we have a swimming pool for baptizing people. It's under the drums there. 
uh, you just pull away the drums and pull away the platform, and down there there's a, there's a swimming pool, and you can fill up the swimming. Don't tell the kids they'll want to be in it. And uh, you can fill it up. You can even heat it up. It's amazing, heated water. One time I was baptizing a very elderly woman. Her name was Lorna. She was a very excitable elderly woman, very angular and sharp and prone to rapid decisions. She was... She, <laughs> She was. She, she, she used to run across Military Road, but she, if three lanes were more or less clear, she would run and jump onto the median strip, even though there was other cars going past. You know the, all the fences they built in Military Road? That was to stop Lorna Wright from, <laughs> from running across Military Road. Anyway, uh, I, I got down into the baptistry, and it was only when I got into it and stood in it, I realized I'd forgotten to put the heater on middle of winter, and you know that shudder you get when you realize you're freezing from the bottom up? And uh, anyway, so she, by that time, she's standing in the top stair, and she's got her feet in it. And she says, under, I've got her by the hand, and she says under her breath, you're not going to make me get in this, are you? <laughs> yeah, but I had her by the hand then. So I just, just pulled her in, <laughs> baptized her. Yeah, she died subsequently. <laughs> I said subsequently, not, not consequently. Yeah. Why do we need lots of water? We need lots of water because we need enough water to drown you. So when I baptize you, when a Baptist pastor baptizes you, we will take you into the water, I'll take you into my arms, and I'll ask you, are you willing to publicly declare that Jesus is your Lord? And when I hear you say, yes, Jesus is my Lord, then I will take you and I'll pull you under the water. I'll pull you under the water so that the water goes over your face and over your head. And I push you down and if I hold you there long enough, you die. <laughs> and so I hold you down long enough for you to think, wait a minute, I could die here. <laughs> And in that moment, I seal into your body the cross of Jesus. You die. Come to Christ, you die. You die to your old identity. You die to your history. You die to your past. You die to your sins. You die. Mercifully, that's not where it ends. Then I raise you up, and in that I seal into your body the truth of the resurrection, that there is life, up for life and breath and hope and energy, and you live again. The resurrection of Jesus imprinted on you. It's like an invisible tattoo on your body, dead in Christ and alive in him, the death and resurrection of Jesus sealed to you. In the, in, the, in the moment of baptism. In this way, we signify your decision to identify with Jesus. Your decision to identify your life with that of Christ. A baby can't do that. A baby cannot do that. That's why nowhere in the New Testament do you find babies being baptized. Yeah, you find some families who believe, 
But you don't find a baby being baptized. You find believers being baptized. Sometimes they may be children, but they are believers. Those who make a credible profession of faith. We have a duty to baptize. And in that way to signify that the believer's identity is no longer in themselves, but in Christ. That's what it means to identify with Jesus. And it's a key to finding joy in him. I read once the story of an evangelical sister of Mary. Are you familiar with that? It's a sort of, a, what do you call it, a group of nuns. Um, she had a distinctive nuns outfit. She was walking through the city, standing at the street corner at the curb, just waiting for the lights to change. A man pulled up alongside her, wound down his window, spat in her face. She said, afterwards, in that moment, I was filled with an overwhelming joy. How could you find joy? They spat in the face of Jesus. They spat in the face of Jesus. And in that moment, in that terrible experience, she felt the joy of identifying with Jesus. Her life and his fused together. His story and hers fused together. That's what it means to identify with Jesus and to find joy in him. Well, that's why I'm always so glad to gather with the Lord's people and why I love to stand with the Lord's people and praise him. What a moment of joy that is. And you know, when I, I visit lots of churches and when I come and gather with the Lord's people, when I stand to praise him, I'll, I'll tell you what I'm listening for. I'm listening for that ancient song. I'm listening for that story of Jesus' descent and ascent. And when I hear that story, when I even hear just a part of that story, then I know I'm with my people. I know I'm feeling the wind of the Spirit. I know Jesus himself is present, and in that moment I am full of joy. I only need one minute of that, and I'm, I'm done for the week. That's all I need. Everything else is a bonus after that. The sermon could be terrible. The, everything can fall apart after that if I have one minute knowing that the Spirit of God is exalting Jesus amongst his people, that's enough to refresh me. Well, and that's why I just can't help raising my hands. I just can't help it. I can't help it. I try to stop it, and I can't help it. Um, I, I once took a friend of mine, a, a Singaporean Pentecostal friend of mine, tall guy, to my family church, my Anglican family church, and I made the mistake of sitting in the front row and as soon as the music started, straight away, he had his hands in the air and I was sort of tucked under his armpit in, in a church where no one ever, ever raised their hands. And I'm there, like, looking around. All the people are looking at me like, what has John become? And now I'm like him. I can't help it. Uh, there's a dancer who said, I, I dance because I cannot fly. I raise my hands because I can't fly. I just could flap my wings, just flap my hands. That's all I can do, but it's the best I can do. And it's because when I hear Christ being elevated and raised, I just want to give the whole of myself into that moment. I'm not going to tell you you've got to raise your hands in worship. That, that, that wouldn't help you. 
And I'm not going to tell you you've got to stand on the seats and jump either. I'm just going to tell you, fill your hearts with joy. Find your joy in Jesus. Let that ancient song be your song so that when you hear it, well, it warms your heart. It fills your heart. It overwhelms you with the wonder of what God has done in Jesus. So there's a first key to rejoicing in the Lord, finding our identity in him. Folks, I just need to take a break because I'm running out of air. Too excited. Anyone watch the rugby recent days? <laughs> just uh, after they score a try, they gather together and do. You seen that? Olive's had a good win yesterday. Yeah, that feels better. Thank you. Thanks for that. I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you. Oxygen deprivation is a real thing for me when I'm preaching. <laughs> Uh, if I do fall over, just, just uh, I'll keep on talking. <laughs> so that's identity, finding your identity, rejoicing in the Lord because we find our identity in him. But now, what about finding our hope in the Lord Jesus? Hope, hope. Hope is what draws us into the future. It's that good thing up ahead, you know, which makes the difficulties of today bearable. Think of the thing that's just up ahead of you that you're looking forward to. What is it? Some time off over Christmas? Maybe a reunion with some friends, a visit to a place you love, a place you've loved to see or long to go to. Maybe it's just a chance to rest. Something good up ahead, something positive to anticipate. That's hope. And we need hope, right? People need hope. You can't have joy if you don't have hope. If you have joy without hope, then your joy is just momentary, isn't it? And we, that's more like just happiness. That's just the momentary experience. If, if, if the happiness of the moment just disappears, then it's not long before it's replaced by despair. It's like there was the moment and it's gone. It's hope that makes you know that there's joy in the future. I'm becoming increasingly aware in the contemporary church, in our traditions, that we believers are not making the most of the hope we have in Jesus. These chapters in Philippians are full of hope, but my guess is that many of us will not have heard it or noticed it or maybe only taken a hold of a fraction of it. And so in verse 14, when we hear Paul saying that he presses on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ. And in verse 20, when we read that our citizenship is in heaven, when we hear this talk of heaven, we say to ourselves, ah, oh, yeah, that's my hope. That's what's... That's the prayer moment, right? It's 11.02. Well, bless you, Lord, for Alpha... Last Wednesday, what a wonderful night that was. Thank you for all the people that were gathered there. Come again this week, Lord, and bring the people, bring more people. Bring those people back who came this week and are inquiring. And fill us, Lord, each one of us by your spirit to do your work and bring the news of Christ to each person. Come, Lord, do your work through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
I was, I was just in the middle of flying away to heaven. That, 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 that's, that's the hope. I'm sure many of us register. Our citizenship is in heaven. Christ has called us heavenward. That's the hope. I'm going to go to heaven when I die. It makes sense because that's the gospel we know of. That's the gospel we teach one another, how to get to heaven. And so when a loved one or a brother or sister in the Lord dies, we comfort ourselves with just that thought. It's okay because he's in heaven. She's in heaven and we might even go to Philippians 1.21 to live as Christ and to die as gain. You see, our brother or sister is in heaven and therefore we're comforted. And then when we combine that with Paul's rejection of the flesh in chapter 3, verse 3, no confidence in the flesh. And verse 21, his talk of our lowly bodies, literally our, the bodies of our humiliation, we could talk for a long time, could we not, about the body of humiliation. Um, our bodies have this amazing ability to humiliate us, don't they? In the moment of extreme excitement and, and, and bliss, our bodies have a way of undermining, of turning the whole thing into a joke. The body of our humiliation. So when we hear Paul talking like that, we have all the pieces of a narrative in which our hope consists of flying away from our bodies to go to heaven. Flying away to go to heaven. And I'm sure for many of us, that is what our Christian hope is. But it's not Paul's Christian hope. Something much richer, deeper, fuller than that is going on in Philippians chapter 3. There is more hope in Christ than that. There is more hope in the gospel than that. Let me try and show you. See at the end of chapter, at the end of chapter verse 20, where we read, our citizenship is in heaven. We live here in Sydney, but our citizenship is in heaven. That's where our Lord is, and we belong to him. We are members of his family, Citizens of his kingdom. What that means is that we are a kind of colony of heaven. We are an outpost of heaven. We are representatives of the rule of God here in the place where God has placed it. And this is a metaphor which the Philippians would have understood immediately. You see, Philippi was a Roman colony. Rome was a thousand kilometers away. But Philippi was a kind of little Rome. Many of the residents there were retired Roman soldiers. They spoke Latin. They wore the Roman toga. They took great interest in Roman affairs. From time to time, the Caesars or their representatives would come visiting, a moment of great ceremony and pomp and excitement. They saw themselves as an outpost of Rome, a colony of Rome. They were living amongst Greeks, but they identified as Romans. And so Paul knows that his friends in Philippi will understand the metaphor that he's using. We are citizens, he's saying, not of Rome, but of heaven. We are a colony of heaven. And then see what he anticipates will come next. See in verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there. From there, the Lord Jesus. We wait for the Caesar to come. We wait for the Savior to come to us. 
Can you see the direction? It's not one day we will fly away to heaven. It's we eagerly await a Savior who will come to us, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what will he come to do? Well, it's there in the next section. He will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. We will be resurrected. Resurrected. And that's why Paul completes his testimony back in verse 10 as he does where he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. It's resurrection that Paul is waiting for, that Paul is hoping for. And why will we be resurrected? The clue is in verse 21, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. The power with which he will resurrect us is the power with which he will take charge of everything. And we will live in that new world with our resurrected bodies. It's where we got up to at the end of the ancient song in chapter 2. Every tongue, every knee bowing, lordship of Christ subduing the whole of creation. Friends, friends, this is what Jesus meant when he said the kingdom of God is coming. That, that's what he meant. The rule of God is coming on the earth. The kingdom of God is coming. It's what he meant when he talked about the renewal of everything. It's what Peter meant when he talked about the restoration of all things. This is the fulfillment of what the prophets hoped for and dreamed of. The glory of God covering the... What is it? The glory of God covering the earth as the waters cover the sea. And you and I will be part of that. Our lowly bodies resurrected to walk again on God's good earth. To do what God made human beings for. To bear his image. To rule over his creation. To wisely take care of the earth as his representatives. That's hope. That's our hope. That's the future. That's the good thing that lies up ahead. That makes the troubles of today bearable. Think about your body, your body, your wonderful body, your astonishing body. Sometimes I get people to do it, grab a hold of it, grab a hold of it. No, not, not, not your neighbor's body. Grab your body. It's you. That's you. It's not an empty container containing you. It is you. That's you. And this body will be resurrected. The greater you, the perfected you, to take your place in God's future. You were made to reflect the nature of God. Let me say something totally controversial. You were not made for heaven. You were made for the earth. You were made to take charge of God's earth. And God wants to resurrect you 
so that you can take your place in his restored, renewed world. And so his purposes in creation will not be denied. Neither sin nor death nor the evil one will defeat God's purposes in history and in the world to put you in charge of his world. That's what we are made for. That's what we're headed for. That's where we're headed and that's our hope. Hey, I've gone on a long time. I'm talking about rejoicing in the Lord. I'm talking about two sources of joy, finding our identity in Jesus and finding our hope in the Lord Jesus. Now, just to finish, what is joy unless it puts a smile on your face? What is it? What could it possibly be? I mean, I know joy is sort of deeper than momentary happiness and all the rest of it. But then again, if it is joy, then at least some of the time it should make you feel something, right? Something happy, something warm, something hopeful, something glad, something positive and optimistic. It should make you feel like you want to sing. It should be in your body and make you want to dance, shouldn't it? Something deep in you that makes you want to jump. Makes you want to stand on the seats and jump. (laughs) That's joy. That's joy. Well, folks, may our living God grant us the joy of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. If you need prayer for joy, if you just need a big boost of joy, just come forward down here and somebody will pray with you. Bless you guys.